This is episode number 116 of the Paleo Women Podcast. Welcome to the Paleo Women Podcast. I'm your co-host, Noelle Tarr, a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And with me is my partner in crime, Stephanie Ruper, author of the best-selling book, Sexy by Nature. This show is the place to be if you're a fan of moderately amusing banter and uninhibited real talk relating to health, nutrition, fitness, body image, and just about everything in between. While hanging out with us, please remember the information on this podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material and should not be used in place of medical advice or treatment. Now, let's have some fun. May 2nd. (laughs) Seems like... Like a pretty and like really far out there, I will be pretty pregnant. You will be pretty pregnant. Be it's pretty pregnant. It's just remarkable. I know. You know. It's so crazy how fast it goes. My husband was gone all weekend, and came. I feel like, and maybe most pregnant women will feel this way, but I have like a few days where all of a sudden I grow, and then I have like weeks where I don't. So, like, I had a few weeks where I was like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, I'm not really growing that much. And then all of a sudden, like, over a few days, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have popped. And my husband was gone for reserve duty for, like, four days and came home. And he was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you have changed here. And I was like, "I tell me about it. Like, this is serious. It's really <laughs> odd how it happens. It happens overnight. All of a sudden, I'm like, yep, this is uh, pregnancy. <laughs> Can, can I take a second to just publicly acknowledge um, that I am typically I roll my eyes a lot at um, people who uh, go through um, some of the motions of uh, landmarking lives like uh, doing gender reveals or uh, taking photographs. But I would like to publicly <laughs> uh, remark that you're photos were so stunning i think those were just some of the most beautiful um couple pre-baby photos i've oh, uh, yeah, ever the, seen the ones i just posted on facebook yeah yeah those ones i know and i felt i agree with you i really do and i'm sorry to all the people who've had all the maternity shoots done but i really don't <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite my thing and so i was really happy with how these came out because i was more about photographing um, emotion and connection versus like, here's me standing here pregnant. Um, and so when, sh- when she reached out to me and said, Hey, can, can I shoot you two for, as like, you know, for advertising shots? I was like, yes. Cause I love, I love what you capture in your photos. She's a, she's a Philly photographer. And so I know I, I feel really honored to have those photos. Like it just, especially, you know, cause I love my husband <laughs> but um yeah although they're very cute just so everybody Maybe. knows they're like pictures of my husband and i together like i don't know doing things him kissing me on the forehead and that sort of thing us laying neck like, so <laughs> sexy yeah yeah uh she had us take pictures like all throughout the house so some of those are actually upstairs in our bedroom just like cuddling on our bed and she just got this cool like raw emotion of us laughing and looking at each other and stuff like that so yeah yeah, she's got this cool, like, dark, neutral vibe, you know? I liked how she edited the photos, mm-hmm. so they were, like, really, da- like, darker and just kind of, I, I don't know, very, it was very cool. Evil, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she got some good ones of my puppies. So what's going on in your life? I'm going back to Paris tomorrow. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I mean... Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I have no idea uh, where I'll be in the world. But yeah, I'm uh, going back to Paris, bouncing around a lot, getting nothing done. My poor dissertation. My poor dissertation. I mean, I work when I'm there, like, like, you know, five hours every few days. Um, Fortunately, I've worked so far ahead on a lot of my projects that I'm still like smooth sailing and I have this amazing job where I just show up and talk for a week (laughs) or for an hour (laughs) once a week and it's like, okay, I'm done. Um, Done for the week. Uh, I have this amazing job, uh, which means that I'm not um, 
you know, most people who go through grad school are just like slaves to the machine. You know, you have to uh, teach and you have to do everything your supervisor says and you have to publish articles and you have to work on your dissertation. You have to take classes and you have to take exams. And I just like sit back. I'm like, nope. <laughs> nope. Because while I do really love what I study and the intellectual challenge of organizing arguments feels very good to me. I enjoy it a lot. Um, it's so hard because there are just so many things in the world, I think that deserve our attention, you know, and I feel pulled in so many different ways. And most importantly, I feel, I feel compelled and pulled by, you know, the love I feel for people that I meet and the love that I feel when I go dancing and get to share with people. And so it's really, um, I feel like that's, that's selfish, but it's also really important. And I don't know, it's all just sort of a jumble. Um, sort of floating, <laughs> floating through my, uh, what do I want to say? Facade of an adult life. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> but I'm happy. I think. Good. I know. Right. You should I be know. doing all these things and, you know, enjoying the city that you're in and the places that you're, I mean, gosh, it's not like you're going to be over there forever. Maybe you will. But, like, not everybody has the opportunity to just enjoy, to study, to explore an entirely new set of countries, you know? So, I, I just, I think it's cool. You're living yeah. it up. And we all get to live through you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Hopefully, <laughs> I, my plan is to turn it into, you know, something productively useful for the world. I am trying a little bit, at least. Okay. Hey, okay. do, you, do you have like a summer break or anything? Yeah, there is. And in fact, uh, I may be getting kicked out of my um, flat. Oh, so, wow. yeah, I'm going to have to go places like, I don't know, France or China, um, maybe the States for a little bit. So, yeah, but you'll have babies, so I'm not coming to visit you. <laughs> Please don't. No. No. <laughs> no. I'll be a mess. I'll be like the angry, like, because like, when I get really tired, I just... I'm pretty annoying to deal with, so I'll just I'll I save bet. you from that. Oh, you do, yeah. do you? Oh, yeah, I can see that. I'm like, I'm that way, too. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll, like, instead of visiting you and bringing you a tray of lasagna, I'll get you a meal delivery service. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, announcements. Let me see. Announcements before we jump into questions. I do have one quick announcement. I spoke a few weeks ago about something called an organ complex, a desiccated organ complex from Paleo Valley and how I'd been taking that for the last few months. And some of you have reached out to me and said that um, they were sold out, unfortunately, for a short time period. So, I actually talked to Paleo Valley and they are transitioning from sourcing their organ meats for the organ complex from uh, New Zealand to the U.S. So there's this slight little hiccup uh, where they're not going to have enough supply to be able to support the orders. It should be back up and running in a few weeks. I have very, very good news for all of the Paleo Women podcast community uh, Paleo Valley is now going to be supporting the podcast. I've had some really great conversations with them in the process. And so I, um, if you, if you want to order the organ complex and just to quickly go over it, it is a grass fed organ complex. It's a desiccated, uh, pill. So it's basically desiccated beef, liver, heart, brain, and kidney. And then you take one serving of that uh, of the organ complex is probably like four pills or something a day. That's what I've been taking all throughout my pregnancy. Um, but it's 100% grass uh, fed and finished beef organs. They're non-GMO. Of course, they're never given antibiotic steroids or hormones. It's 100% pure. There's no fillers or flow agents. And um, the reason I really like it and why I decided to, to take it is because it's a variety of organ meats. Uh, many of you know that <laughs> we are big fans of organ meats here, especially how important they are. Um, during pregnancy, post-pregnancy, preparing for pregnancy, all the things. However, I am not the biggest fan of eating the organ meats, so I have been taking the desiccated uh, liver and heart, brain, and kidney organ complex. It was really especially helpful for me in my first trimester when I just was not feeling the protein 
So I'm a huge fan. I still take it now. We'll be talking, I'm sure, more a lot about it. But I'm very excited to offer everybody uh, this wonderful deal, which I will also be partaking in. Um, it's 20% off. We have a 20% off uh, discount. So if you go to paleovalley.com slash paleowomen, It'll send you to a little page and you'll be able to order the organ complex at 20% off. There's going to be some more information there. And so we're really excited to team up with Paleo Valley. They've got some really good things going on. And I really, really do love the uh, the two own- two owners of the company. They've got a lot of good stuff. And she actually created this. Uh, one of the co-owners created the organ complex while she was pregnant so that she could get organ meats in. So she's a woman after my own heart. So go to paleovalley.com slash paleowomen, 20% off. Super excited about it. Go get it. Okay, so we have some really interesting questions. I'm really excited to share with you this first one. So let's get right into it. This podcast is brought to you by Sunbasket, one of the resources I've become dependent on as life has quickly become harder to manage and there never seems to be enough time in the day. Sunbasket makes it easy to cook delicious gluten-free or paleo meals in your own kitchen in just 30 minutes or less. You'll get organic non-GMO ingredients sent directly to your door in a nice pretty little box. And each meal comes with pre-measured fresh ingredients so there's no waste, hassle, or grocery shopping. And now Sunbasket offers gluten-free family meal options, making it easy to customize to your needs. As a special offer for our community, Sunbasket is offering three free meals with your first order. To get this special deal, go to sunbasket.com slash paleowomen or check the show notes to click directly on this link. Again, that's sunbasket.com slash paleowomen to get three totally free, easy to prepare meals with your first order. Question number one is from Amanda. Hi, ladies. I'm a long-term listener, first-time caller. Always wanted to say that. I've followed your podcast since the single digits and feel like I've been on an amazing journey with you ever since. This has been a journey. It really has been. It's been a long, I I, I don't know. Just last week, I had that realization of like, oh my gosh, we're doing, like we're entering our third year together doing this every single week. I know. How much? Showing up and not hating each other. I mean, sometimes maybe, but for the like general overall, <laughs> we don't. Okay, we keep showing up, and I keep loving you unconditionally and wholeheartedly, and you tolerate me I, a little I, bit. I, I, apparently, I quote unquote tolerate you. Yeah, somebody in our somebody left us a, an amazing review. Uh, by the way, thank you so much because we've gotten a lot of really really great reviews, and I read it to Stephanie, and it was really wonderful of Stephanie. And then it was like Noel is what did what was it? It was tolerant. You know, tolerant. And I was like, apparently, you're hard to tolerate. So it's a bonus for me because the is tolerant. Just kidding. We know what you meant, but I thought it was very cute. Anyway, moving forward, thank you for being a constant inspiration and fostering such a beautiful, uplifting community. I can't thank you enough. My question today has to do with the physical and mental effects of certain carbohydrate sources. Although I know you've covered carbohydrates many times before, I wanted to write in to ask more specifically about finding the quote-unquote right carb for your one's body. How do you know what works and what doesn't? Have you ever suffered psychological consequences from eating certain carbs, such as a blue mood, feelings of anxiety, or even the urge to overeat? Do you experience more bloating or false weight gain from one carb source versus another? I know Stephanie is a big fan of fruit, and Noelle has recommended sweet potatoes and white rice before. Could you please explain how you found that these were good for your body? I'd also be curious to hear a little about what happened when a carb source didn't agree with you. How many times do you try something before you mark it off the list and move to something else? A little background about my situation with carbs. After being diagnosed with celiac disease and later Hashimoto's, my doctor put me on a real food paleo-based diet. That sounds like a good doctor. I make sure to get adequate carbs, at least one starchy vegetable at each meal, but seems I seem to struggle with certain carb sources more than others. Fruit used to work well for me, but now it 
causes my, (laughs) in quotations, sugar monster to come out and make me crave all of the other not-so-real food sweets. I also find that my mood gets messed up and sometimes I get the urge to binge on anything and everything. Even if I eat a small amount of sweet potatoes or plantains, however, I'm totally fine with winter squash and a moderate amount of rice. What gives? Is there some sort of science to the way certain carbs affect our body and mind? Could this be a vitamin or mineral imbalance lurking behind the scenes? Or do some carbs just work for some people and not for others? Thanks, Amanda. Okay, first, in uh, Amanda's overture at the beginning, she said that we were funny and Noelle didn't read that part. I was trying to cut it short. Where did it say? I can't thank you enough for your weekly dose of encouragement, insight, and even the humor you provide. Um, yeah, I was trying to. I know. And this is funny because I hate the, you know, the self-aggrandizing know. Uh, reading what reviews on podcasts. Well, I want to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, you're very funny. Find you hear- humorous. I laugh over here all the time. I'm like the big laugher. On the I know. Side. It's like a it's really good brand of like laughing at me humor. You know, I got <laughs> none of the real stuff, but sort of. All right. Yes. Um, also, okay, so when we first uh, got on the call, Noelle was like, Steph, you're going to love these questions. And she's right. I oh love this goodness. question. Yeah, this is a great I one. love this question. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about this, we're being like pretty general and loosey-goosey, you know, for a reason. You know, it, I think it takes somebody who's listened to 100 episodes of our podcast to like figure out, you know, to be like, wait, what is what's the stuff we're not really addressing here? Um, we, we have talked about some of the science that goes into these things at, at places over time. Um but a lot of it just a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, preferences. So um, I guess maybe to start with the science of um, different kinds of carbs. So uh, primarily in a paleo diet, the two kinds of uh, carbs or, you know, sugars that you're going to encounter are glucose based ones and fructose based ones. And foods that are sweet or have carbs in them have both typically, you know, um, plants. Um, now some of them, some of the glucose based ones are called complex, uh, which just basically means it takes your body longer to break them down because they're like kind of knotted together. (laughs) So, um, starchy carbs are often called complex, but they're still glucose based. Um, and fructose ones typically are not, you know, again, to reiterate most fruits, a lot of fruits have more glucose in them than fructose. Um, but, Many of them are, are fructose heavy. So we find this to, to be the case uh, in different kinds of carbs. And of course, then there are vegetables, which are typically mostly glucose, but uh, not a lot and wrapped up in fiber. So that's also a carb source. Um, when we eat these things, uh, different things happen to the body. Uh, for one thing, fructose has been documented to stimulate appetite a little bit, which we don't really talk about here on the podcast much. But um, that is something that's talked about in the scientific literature. I don't think that people like actively experience a lot of um, really be able to pinpoint this unless scientists were, you know, really talking about it first, you know, hmm, oh, I think this apple is making me feel more hungry. Um, I think it's a very subtle effect, but maybe in some people it could be more pronounced. So that's a thing. Um, and then uh, glucose is absorbed right into the uh, bloodstream from the intestines. And so glucose-based carbs tend to spike your blood sugar pretty high, um, more so than fructose-based carbs. And if they're complex, it takes longer for the um, in intestinal tract, you know, the stuff going on in there to um, break them down and get them into your blood. And so the blood sugar rise is a little bit uh, stunted, you know, it's a little bit lower. And that's why people, you know, will often say that those are um, better for you. Now, fructose, on the other hand, does elevate um, blood sugar, but it actually gets routed through the liver first. And this means that it doesn't elevate blood sugar quite as much because the fructose or the liver tries to um, does process it and then sort of shuttle some of it off into the bloodstream. It will store um, it in the liver um, if it can. And uh, yeah, that's important. It's also important to note, however, that uh, high intake of fructose has been associated with insulin resistance. Um, So 
really overdoing it could be a problem. However, this is probably, this is much more the case, I would say, more likely to do with um, soda and refined sugar fructose consumption than anything else. Uh, And I would say this in part because when we consume sugar, you know, the body needs, uh, specifically the liver, uh, needs vitamins in order to process it. Now, if you're ingesting carbohydrates or sugar, refined sugar, without any vitamins to accompany it, um, then you're going to deplete your body's uh, mineral and vitamin resources, and that's going to be a problem. And so that's a part of why um, insulin resistance is a problem uh, with fructose. Um, And also liver health generally, if you're really overburdening your liver and not supporting it by doing things, again, by consuming, uh, like consuming soda. So those are some, you know, different things to pay attention to. Um, Also, (laughs) starches, some people have an enzyme in their saliva that starts breaking down starch, starts metabolizing it. And that's really helpful um, for things like weight loss and keeping insulin levels low. Some people don't have it. Uh, I personally find, I have found in the past that I tended to gain quite a bit of weight when I ate glucose-based carbs. Just, it just happened, I am cannot necessarily pinpoint why, but it could have to do with water retention, um, it could have to do with uh, other bad practices that I had going on with my diet at the time, uh, but I did notice that, and that's a big part of why I moved to fruit. You know, I also found that fruit um, sat well with me. It didn't um, cause blood sugar highs and lows for me in the way that I sometimes experience with glucose-based things. And so I felt a little bit more energetically stable throughout the day. But if you process, you know, glucose well, if you process starch well, that shouldn't be a problem. Also, of course, if you add fat to a glucose-heavy, to a starch kind of meal, that will also... Um, slow the insulin rise, but it will draw it out over time. So you're not net. I just, this drives me crazy. And people always say like, oh, like if you want to lose weight or whatever, you should always make sure you put butter on your sweet potato and it'll keep your blood sugar low. Well, sure. But your insulin levels like still net. If you do it like in math, if you do an integral function (laughs) of the, you know, the graph of your insulin levels over time, it's going to be just as big. Um, if you're putting fat on your carbs, because the insulin levels will be lower, but they'll be they'll last longer. So there's that to consider. Um, these are all just things that you can sort of play with with your body. Uh, women who have robust estrogen levels tend to be uh, a little bit more uh, insulin sensitive than women who are not, and therefore starches could also work well for them. And this is another reason why I think I had a trouble um, specifically back when I was really, really thin and my hormone levels were really low uh, with processing glucose-based carbs because I didn't have um, healthy estrogen levels to help me do that. And that also, of course, it fluctuates with your menstrual cycle. In the first two weeks of the cycle, women tend to be more insulin sensitive than the second two weeks. And so you can uh, play with that. And a lot of women do, especially if they're athletes, you know, if they're working hard on their training to sort of tailor their carb intake to make sure they, you know, hit the right numbers that they're looking for in their training. Um, So those are some things, uh, other things that can have effects on you know, your carb consumption are your gut flora population. You know, maybe you have um, some kind of imbalance. Maybe you have some small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, SIBO. Maybe you have an issue with FODMAPs, um, which is comprises a whole list <laughs> of um, simple sugars that the body actually has trouble digesting. Um, And that can comprise, you know, foods from plants from a wide variety of categories ranging from, you know, fruits to sugar alcohols that are made in a factory to uh, different kinds of vegetables, including avocados. So that's a lot. Um, (laughs) as, As to how to figure what works best for you, you know, I it, it takes a long time, a lot of patience. I wouldn't say necessarily that you need to like try one fruit once. And if it does, if it's fine, it's fine. If it's not, it's not. Um, 
because you could see a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of variables that are always at play. And so I would just really take time. Um, I think personal preferences are totally legit. If you have an issue with sweet potatoes or plantains, sometimes if you have issues with the way fruit interfaces with your appetite, like just go ahead and pick something else. (laughs) Uh, I really do feel that way. I'm not sure I could tell you particularly why that's happening to you. I think our psychology is really important. And I think also our history our conditioning, you know, we, I think we condition responses to certain foods in our body, right? If at a certain period of time, if a certain food we ate when we were really excited, or we used to binge on it a lot, we build up these associations, and they're not conscious, you know, and your body can Hmm. develop a really strong love for them. And just, you know, it's like when I, when I run into somebody who I had sex with a long time ago, um, or some time ago, and like my body immediately sort of leaps into being aroused. It's because it's like encountering this thing that it once associated with pleasure, right? And I think that our our food systems, our reward systems do that as well. And so that could be why certain foods affect you sometimes and maybe in certain emotional states um, differently than at other times. I think it's okay to take care of that. You know, over time, you can slowly, you know, reduce the conditioning or you can play with it a little bit but for the time being if you're being well nourished with other foods you know especially if you're eating lots of veggies I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat it um so that's sort of where I would land on that a person like yeah maybe nutritional vitamin deficiencies could be at play I think Noel would probably say yeah um I think that's possible but I think it's probably secondary to the other stuff um and yeah, just pay attention to what, you know, uh, what feels good for your body, but also psychologically what you prefer. Both of those things are important to us when we talk about the different kinds of carbs that we like. And in closing, I would like to let everybody know that I've been, <laughs> I have, uh, I have kind of jumped ship, actually. Really? Uh-huh. To my ship? Uh- uh, well, I'm not. Well, I'm not sure. I'll I'll let y'all know how things unfold. But um, when I uh, started spending time in Paris, uh, I I had to kind of start. I just ate differently because I ate what was uh, in the guy's house, uh, and I'm eating a lot of uh, potatoes right now, and still a lot of hummus, and uh, actually hardly any apples at all. Like at all buy apples also a lot of oatmeal buy apples not b-u-y buy apples well again to reiterate in the states i'll probably eat some fujis but um i'm having a lot of uh fun uh playing with other carb sources and seeing their effect on me and i'm not sure why but it feels uh differently than it than it did before um so i'll report on what i find that was such a big announnement. I just <laughs> I shall we here. take a moment of silence take for Stephanie's moment. relationship with apples. Oh my goodness! Um, no, I th- I think everything you said was good, especially the psychological association with certain carbohydrates and certain foods, and you know, ultimately, kind of the why behind it and why I think that. Certain people have certain responses to carbohydrates, you know, and certain people have other responses. One is because of genetics. And I think that that more research hopefully will start to show up. But it, it is sort of trickling, you know, and, and, and being seen that people have diff- very different blood glucose responses to the same foods. So for one person, it may be tomatoes, while the other person, it may be apples, you know, and so they have a very a, a not so good, meaning a very sharp spike, a high spike in blood sugar in response to certain foods. So ultimately, and I'm going to be experiment experimenting with this a little bit more, and I'm excited to, but ultimately, you know, the way to figure out how your body responds to certain carbohydrates on a physiological level, how your blood sugar response is is to test your blood glucose post-meal. You know, you can do one hour post-meal. You can do a fasting blood glucose test. And that fasting blood glucose test will be really um, insightful on how the foods that you ate before you went to bed served your body and how your body responded to those. So genetics is one. You know, I do think that some people are more inclined to have have negative responses to 
to carbohydrates in general and may do better with a lower, low-ish, not to say that, you know, ketogenic or low-carb, we're not like saying, oh, some people, you know, that's what their body is absolutely has to have. I'm just saying I think some people can do better with a lower ratio and maybe do better with just, you know, fruit-based carbs or, or sweet potatoes or stuff like that. So, you know, with just fewer of those overall. And and that's very genetic. So so in other words, some people can be very much so inclined to have diabetes type 1 or type 2 um, and, you know, heart disease and that sort of thing. And that's not in my genetic history whatsoever. I've never lost a family member to heart disease. I have absolutely no history whatsoever, as far back as I can see, uh, to and associated with any sort of diabetes. I've lost all my grandparents except one to cancer. Two was to lung cancer um, and lung cancer that turned into breast cancer. And so, you know, it to me, I don't I have no you know, genetic history of that whatsoever. And I do know of people who do and who actually respond very differently to certain carbohydrates and stuff like that. Maybe, you know, a lot differently, more differently than I do. So one, genetics is absolutely a factor. I think two, which Stephanie did touch on, is the state that you're in can absolutely affect how you respond to specific foods. If you are sleep deprived, if you're in a, cro- a state of chronic stress or you're under a lot of stress, your blood glucose response, your insulin response, whether your body is insulin resistant or not, is going to be hugely affected. And I think that this is way under looked at. And so people are always like, oh, diet, diet, diet. But really, it has a lot to do with your stress and the state that your body is in hormonally because of previous or chronic stress that you're experiencing. So we have this genetic history. We have this, uh, what state are you in? Are you, are you chronically sleep deprived? Are you chronically stressed? Um, and so as a result, things can fluctuate, which we are a perfect example. You know, when I first started doing this podcast, I was more, pretty low carbohydrate and I felt good doing that and I and I you know I ate more protein definitely because I was working out a lot but I had kind of grown accustomed to eating lower carbohydrate and had associated things like potatoes and rice as being things that were unhealthy and that was largely due to just years of doing paleo and that kind of dogmatic, you know, thing. And maybe it had just kind of gripped me subconsciously, even though I didn't think, you know, oh, potatoes are bad. Like I never would have thought that because I did eat that, but I didn't eat it on a regular basis. And so once I started to kind of explore that and just selectively kind of shift, go with the flow, so to speak, especially during like I remember it was it was I think as we started moving into the summer and naturally in the summer, I eat more fruit, I eat more apples, I eat more berries and stuff like that. And I think that as I started to kind of just experiment with that and realize that I had more energy, I recovered better. So I was still working out a lot. I realized that shifting my carbohydrate up, carbohydrates up um, it made me feel a lot better. You know, my energy levels, I, I felt a lot better. I didn't have any digestive issues, which was, you know, really interesting to me. In fact, by eating potatoes and eating rice, a lot of my digestive issues got better. So there, were, there was actually a time where... I, my bowel movements in the morning were pretty just like loosey goosey, like not never solid. And some, a lot of you may be experiencing that. And for me, it was because of the fact that I would eat these big salads and lots of vegetables. And I never really included some of these, like I just was avoiding a lot of the starchier carbohydrates. And so once I started including that in, I felt better digestively. So we have like a physical digestive symptom there. I had more energy and I recovered better. And so those were kind of markers for me. Now, ultimately, I will say that, it, you know, why I was maybe not eating a lot of those foods a few years ago was out of fear of thinking that I was going to gain weight, you know? And so there was this stigma of like carbohydrate, weight gain, um, you know, or rice and potatoes, you know, weight gain or my body's going to gain weight. And ultimately, I believed that too for a while about working out. Like if I stop working out, I'm going to gain weight. If I, you know, eat more carbohydrates, that's going to lead to weight gain. And those are just not truths at all whatsoever. And so as I began, I think, you know, slowly to experiment with some, like, especially eating, 
you know, more potatoes and stuff like that and realized that my body didn't all of a sudden have this like conniption fit and like not act like a normal body and not, you know, keep me balanced and, and happy and regulated and still was I was able to pursue, you know, the fitness things that I wanted to and nothing really changed that dramatic. Um, I was able to just kind of like go with the flow and test things. And I realized it really wasn't that big of a deal. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal to shift my carbohydrate intake up when it was from these whole nutrient dense sources. And I will say that that does make a difference. Right. So when we're talking about carbohydrates, we can't get away from the fact that carbohydrates also also equals refined sugars. And when we're talking about a refined sugar, so like a high fructose corn syrup or just like a straight glucose, like candy or something like that, you know, we're talking about an isolated source of sugar which does require nutrients to be processed, B vitamins, stuff like that. And so when you're eating an isolated source of sugar, not that it's bad or that you can't ever do it, but when you're doing, you know, eating an isolated source of sugar, refined sugar, your body, it's going to deplete nutrients from your body. And it's not going to come with a lot of those things like, you know, the water and stuff like that. So you're, you're basically going to be eating a nutrient something that's going to kind of deplete nutrients from you. And when you eat things like carbohydrates, like from pretty much like a sweet potato has all of the minerals and the vitamins that it needs to be digested plus some. So it's going to be adding stuff back to your body. So that's kind of why Steph and I, I mean, we like to decipher between make, let's make sure we're, we're not seeing fructose as all the studies that are done on high fructose corn syrup and actually think that that has something correlated with you know, eating fruit, um, cause it's just not the same thing. Drinking a soda and eating an apple are not the same thing. And there are many people who would like to say that it is, you know, especially when we sugar is sugar. Um, but like a lot of the marketing around that, you know, there's some misleading information. So I think that's important when you're talking about, you know, is it a nutrient deficiency or something like that? Maybe. Um, but for the most part, within the context of a nutrient dense diet, most likely not. I don't know what you're eating, but I would say it's probably not due to that. Um, it may be, you know, and especially as you're kind of, it seems like you're dealing with changes. Um, you're getting the case of the sugar monster. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's, there's a little bit that's going on with you in terms of the celiac disease and the Hashimoto's. And I would really, really encourage you to maybe look at just restoring overall gut health because we do know that Gut health is highly involved, especially with celiac disease, with autoimmune conditions, and um, neurotransmitters are produced in the gut. And if you are feeling some sort of anxiety or whatever, you know, associated with certain foods, it might be worth also pursuing, you know, a, a more intensive uh, gut healing a- approach, making sure that you're eating probiotics, making sure that you are taking vitamin D, that you're working with somebody. I can't remember if she said she was because we've been talking a long time here, but um, working with somebody to really make sure that you are optimizing your health with Hashimoto's and the celiac disease. Those actually do, those two disease go, diseases go hand in hand, so it's not that surprising, but it would really be worth, you know, making sure that you're really optimizing your gut health, making sure that there are no deficiencies, you know, maybe getting... Um, an organic acids test done to see if there are any deficiencies going on, getting your vitamin D levels tested, uh, taking the magnesium, I think is going to be great. Um, but making sure that nothing's really going on there that would potentially cause, you know, a little bit of an imbalance emotionally. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's all I got. I think we've talked a lot about carbs. <laughs> I just realized we're at 35 minutes on carbs. Um, so hopefully that provides some insight. I hope that helped. We could history just, of extreme weight <laughs> loss. Eat a lot of carbs. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Doctor recommended supplementation with vitamin D. Yeah. It might be worth testing that again and again and making sure that you're not very low in vitamin D and make sure you're not I don't know about the gummy vitamin, but I would really make sure you're doing an emulsified vitamin D so that vitamin D is getting absorbed. It has to have fat and making sure that you are getting a good source of fat-soluble vitamins in in your diet, pasture-raised eggs, maybe. So, so, okay. Question number two. Question number two is from Kira. Hi there. Thanks for being the best two women ever. Oh, gosh. 
that is just way too nice. Way, way, way too nice. obvious <laughs> and way appropriate. <laughs> so accurate. And for leading this self-loved revolution. So many of us appreciate you more than you know. And congrats on the baby girl. Some background. I'm 29 years old. I'm carrying just a tad more body fat than I would like. I've spent the past year working really hard on managing my stress and increasing self-love. I believe I could lose 5 to 10 pounds in a safe and sustainable way. Just hold on. (laughs) And I don't think it wouldn't have, I don't think it would have any negative uh, physical or mental health outcomes. I really want to lose some weight to be a stronger rock climber and compete in some competitions. I sleep well. I'm not overly stressed and I generally feel healthy. So here's the thing. When I set a calorie goal for even just the tiniest of a deficit, 2100 calories a day, I completely lose my ability to sleep. It feels that my body is just extra sensitive to the cortisol release. And if I don't get out of bed and eat a snack, I simply won't fall asleep until I hit a maintenance level. It seems ridiculous that my body that is sensitive to the possible cortisol release when I'm at a deficit, we evolved to deal with times of feast and famine. So I just can't Im- wait. So I just can't imagine. I told you to hold on stuff. <laughs> just can't imagine that my body would stop sleeping at 2100 calories a day. Have you ever heard of this before? Yes. When I'm lying in bed <laughs> trying to fall asleep, it feels like I have an IV of cortisol going straight to my brain. And I just cannot relax. Eve, I get up, eat a Lara bar. I fall asleep immediately. I've always been incredibly active and have always considered myself an athlete. Recently, I actually decided to stop exercising quite so much in hopes that I would lower my TDEE and not influence my cortisol slash hunger signals quite as much. Now I am doing light jogging a few times a week, making sure to keep my heart rate around 115 beats per minute per Mark Sisson's recommendation in primal endurance. Include... One hit session a week and regular rock climb at my local gym, but none of this exercise feels overly stressful, and it's quite a bit less than what I used to do. Do you have any tips on how I can maintain a small deficit and still be able to sleep? Is this normal? Is this something either of you have experienced? I've tried the lower carb, higher fat technique, and vice versa. I've also tried eating more of my calories at night. Oh, and I'm consistently getting around 120 to 130 grams of protein a day and eat paleo or... At least the paleo that feels good for me, I won't say 80%. Thank you so much in advance. (sighs) (laughs) I know, this is a good one. We have a lot to say. Well, actually, I would refer you to the podcast we just recorded because I'm pretty sure I talked about this at great length and I will continue to talk about this at great length. I have one finger in the air and it is pointing (laughs) up. And to the right a little bit. <laughs> and I'm looking majestically off into the distance. Okay. <laughs> Paleo Women Podcast. Too many visual cues. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't even know where to start. Yes, I've heard of this before. This is my life. This is a thing that happens to me. And it has for years. <laughs> yep. Um... Here's why we did not evolve to deal with times of feast and famine. Mark Sisson, be damned. I really love you, Mark. I'm really sorry. I just said that. Um, Mark used to be, Mark is a really big proponent of intermittent fasting. And he's pretty like, I would say not old school, but he's pretty traditional paleo in the ancestral mimicry sense. And also in the slightly masculine on accident sense. (laughs) Um, feast and famine, sure. The human body survives in feast and famine. What the female body does not do is uh, reproduce and sleep in times of famine. This can is I, because... Can I also ahead. just say... No, well, I just... It kind of, like, sitting here, it just blows my mind that, that somehow we've associated that we are the same somehow with with our ancestors when we're talking about feast and famine we're talking about famine probably being the only stressor and when we're talking about famine in uh the modern world under eating in the modern world which uh we have way more like way more stress way more stimulation probably way less sleep way more just you know like things to balance in our life that's not the same like we we as humans 
are not equivalent to our ancestors. Just because we have quote unquote evolved to do A, B, and C doesn't mean that the modern human in the situations that we are in, right? With all of this additional stress, with all this additional stimulation, with lights, with blue light, with less sleep, like all of these factors are just so different from even from a hundred years ago from what our grandparents were doing. You know what I mean? And so like trying to say like, oh, well, I should be able to do what Paleo Man did because I'm a human too is really, it's really inaccurate and hard to kind of, you know, equate yourself to. So let's, let's first put that out there. Well, okay. Yes. I will then in turn put out there that I am actually not of the school of people who say, uh, that life was like happy and hunky dory oh, back in the that. savannah. No, um, I think they were probably really stressed out a lot. That's that's my bet. I bet that they like fought a lot. You know, humans are human. We're catty. We fight. Like uh, there's just there's we see a lot of um, you know contemporary hunter gatherer cultures that are quite peaceful, but we also know a lot that aren't. <laughs> So, um, anyway, anyway, yes, it's true. We cannot say, but we can say pretty definitively that females of uh, all of the species that we have studied this, all of the mammal species that we have studied this in, do not have the same ability to tolerate famine the way that male do, the males want, the male ones do. Right. Uh, this is thoroughly documented in animal studies, in rodents. Um, when rats are deprived of calories, the female rats, but not the male rats, <laughs> importantly, um, they stop sleeping during the day, which is when they normally sleep. And they enact what we would call foraging behaviors. You know, they run around looking for food. And this is precisely what happens to women. And unfortunately, you know, again, because of what Noel said about all of the different things that happen in our society, you know, of like the deliberate starvation that people do, which is just crazy, right? Just the fact that food is so abundant and we deliberately starve ourselves is just, you know, in evolutionary history, just kind of remarkable and very unnatural, actually. Hmm. Um, you know, we do these things throughout our lives. We exercise a lot. We have stress. And so it's, it's less, even less easy for our bodies to handle this sort of thing, I would think. And, yeah, so then uh, losing sleep is a part of the problem. Now, it isn't for everybody, of course. You know, I have this post on intermittent fasting that has hundreds of thousands of views or what have you. And there are, of course, women who comment on it. And they're like, intermittent fasting works great for me. I'm like, great, that's fine. It doesn't work for all of us. Um, and I know I'm talking about fasting right now, but this applies also to calorie deficits in general. It applies to people who have had histories of starving or people who have, you know, been really athletic, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's a very real thing. And so what I would say to this is, A, I think your body type is great. I understand your desires for rock climbing. But when you said that, I had this vision, you know, once in a while, there are people who are like defy, who defy the norms of what a standard body looks type for a particular activity. And then they make a YouTube video of themselves doing it. And they get like 20 million views because everybody's so excited that somebody with an atypical body type is doing that art. And I understand that rock climbing, like you might feel like you know, actually that you're carrying excess fat and you have to carry that weight, but that doesn't mean you still can't be a super boss rock climber. So I wouldn't sweat it actually. Now I really don't think, I really don't think that you can lose weight and uh, sleep a full night continuously at the same time. I'm just going to throw that out there. I naturally, I think you could probably take some supplements that could help you sleep if you really wanted to. I talked about them in the last podcast. Um, a time-release melatonin could help keep you asleep at night. Uh, taking some valerian root or uh, tryptophan could help keep you asleep at night. Um, some magnesium could help dampen your cortisol response a little bit. But to be honest with you, the stuff that happens that wakes you up is in your hippocampus. That has pretty little to do with, uh, you know, your magnesium levels, unfortunately. I mean, it, it does, it triggers adrenal stuff, but um, it's it's pretty hardwired into the brain, I think. Um, so what to do about it? Well, you could eat and go back to sleep. 
I think that's acceptable. You know, uh, I think that's fine. If your body is hungry, it's totally okay to eat. Um, I appreciate that you've tried shifting your meal times around. Uh, if you, I am willing to bet that if you eat like a thousand calories before you go to sleep at night, it might be able to keep you sleeping throughout the night. But I don't think that's going to feel great for your weight loss either. And I'm not saying it's going to make you gain weight, but I don't think it's going to make you lose it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of it. I think it might take you a while to work past this, you know, eating more and, uh, or eating average for you or what have you, you know, or having to wake up and eat. I think that that might, it might last a little while, depending on how conditioned your body is to sort of freak out at night and get really hungry and give you a lot of cortisol. Um, but I think it's totally possible. Uh, it's currently over the course of the last few months, it's been happening for me slowly, but surely. Uh, and <laughs> somewhat surely, I will also say that, uh, you know, your body makes estrogen in your fat cells. And a lot of women find that that helps them sleep, me included. And so being in a rush to shed them might not be, you know, the best thing for you right now. I think probably getting those cortisol levels down could be really helpful. You know, I found that I've been eating more a little bit, uh, eating a little bit more recently and sleeping a little bit better. And also, I, I hate saying things like that because I don't want to, things like this, because I don't want to make it seem like I'm trying to like promote weight loss. But I've noticed that I've uh, been fitting comfortably into my clothes, I'll say that, uh, and eating more and sleeping more. And it's because I've been taking care of, been trying to take care of this cortisol spiking that happens and trying to uh, eat more regularly and eat more fully and, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I really, I'm yeah, sorry I can't it? give you... I mean, isn't it crazy what the human body does and the balance that happens when you take care of it and you stop stressing? You know what I mean? It like, really is. I thought of you last week when I was like, this is funny because I'm not gaining weight like I normally would when I eat this kind of food. And I I think about when Noelle says to me, <laughs> like, I don't stress out anymore and my body doesn't stress out either. You know, you say that sort of thing all the time. And I'm always like, oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> but I kind of feel like it's happening to me. I don't want to jinx it, though. Well, and that that might change, and that's okay. Like you may go through a season of being more stressed and all that thing. You know, it, it's fine. But I, I really, I mean, I'm just, I, I can't, you know. And it's really from personal experience, but it's also from like experience of working with so many other women. And and when you're, you just can't underestimate the impact of chronic stress on the body. And that chronic stress, which I think is coming from. In Kara's case, I, I, I would, I just don't know if this chronic stress, this cortisol thing is coming from any sort of exercise you're doing or training you're doing. To me, you're in this chronic, kind of chronic state because you're under eating point blank. And I, I can say that confidently because you did give us your stats. And I'm going to be honest, like you weigh a lot less than I did pre baby and, I fully know that if I were to be your weight and lose 10 pounds, that was the weight I was in college when everything hit the fan and I lost my period. So first and foremost, what is it? And this is the only, of course, there, it could be that you, the weight that you're at right now is entirely healthy, but all the things that you're, you know, telling me, oh, if I, the minute I reduce my calories, I can't sleep. And, you know, that sort of thing. That feedback, that information is telling me that your body is pretty much at its lowest point. At, that's healthy for it. And so I'm wondering why it is that you think that you should, that, that you'd like to lose five to ten more pounds. What, where did that come from? And so maybe that's the first step is like, why do I think this? Where did this come from? Why do I have this desire to change my life up so much to even, you know, even to a detriment to my sleep in order to lose this quote unquote last five to 10 pounds? So that's question number one. No judgments there. I'm not saying that people can't, it's bad to have a fat loss goal or bad to have a weight loss goal, but we're getting feedback from your body that's saying, telling us something different, which is you can't afford to lose five to 10 more pounds. Okay. 
Um, second, I don't know where you got the idea that being five to ten pounds less than what your body is right now will somehow make you a better rock climber. This is a huge misconception in athletics. If you look at the Olympics, if you look at, you know, higher level, and then if you even look at lower level, you know, athletes, you can be a variety of weights and be at the top of your class in your specific sport. And it's one of those things that I have to just <laughs> knock into people's heads, especially when we're talking about amateur athletes, so not professional athletes. You losing five pounds isn't really going to make hardly any difference. And in fact, if it's if you're if it's underweight for your body, which I saw this happen with a lot of triathletes, especially younger collegiate ones, there was this misconception that if I could just lose, you know, five more pounds or 10 pounds, then I would get so much better. And really the opposite happened. The body started going through this chronic cortisol, you know, was in this chronic cortisol state, this high high level of training, this under eating led to um, a lot of performance issues, a lot of sleep issues, a lot of recovery issues. So it is not in, an inherent truth that all of a sudden you're going to lose five to 10 pounds and get better at your said name sport. You can excel and be an amazing rock climber and win your competitions by doing amazing strength training, climbing a bunch of rocks and practicing the skill and getting really good at it. And so I would encourage you to maybe move forward with a different training plan. I don't know why you're doing the light jogging and why you've given up a lot of your activities. But I will say you've told us that you're highly active and the calorie intake that you have. I, I think you're borderline under eating. And so that is why you are the moment you try to do any more of a deficit Things are things start to hit the fan. And I commend you on being so aware of this. I think that that's huge. The fact that you are like seeing this right away because a lot of people would gloss over this and just charge forward. And you haven't and you've seen this. So I, I think that, you know, you're you are <laughs> you could really benefit from maybe just going back to doing the things that you like to do, maybe doing some high intensity stuff, doing some more, you know, strength training. But eating enough to support your body through those processes so that you're not in this chronic cortisol output state. And I think you'll be really surprised at how your body responds once it's completely fed, once you let go of maybe believing that you need to be five pounds less for ABC reason and moving forward with doing the training that really makes you happy and is exciting and like maybe it's more competitive. Maybe, you know, you get on a, a little bit more of a competitive thing and you eat you eat as much as you need, right? You eat when you're hungry. You you monitor those levels. And when you start to see that your sleep, you know, gets a little, you know, iffy or whatever, then you can ratchet down your training and, and ratchet up your calories and bring your body back into balance. But I think you'll be really excited and happy with the way your body responds. And you can absolutely, you know, become stronger and build a lot of muscle and build a lot of skill and strength and stamina by doing that, um, at the weight that you're at, actually, you know, it's interesting. That was my starting weight when I went in that you're giving me. And this is why it's it's huge to me. But when I went in for my six week, I've had to I've never weighed myself. I haven't weighed myself in years, but all of a sudden now I'm weighing myself every four weeks. And the first eight weeks of pregnancy, I actually lost like maybe five to seven pounds or something like it was it, it I just started to feel like my clothes are really sagging and it was because I wasn't eating it was like the first time in my life that I didn't want to eat right and so uh, I stopped eating I stopped it was actually because I had stopped working out um too and so I wasn't stressed about it I didn't stress about not eating I didn't stress about not working out and I was like this first time in my life that I was just like super chill with whatever and I would try to eat whatever I could and then I started finally eating again and so you know, I that was actually, you know, so when I saw that number on the scale, which is the number you gave us, I was like, oh, gosh, like <laughs> I'm getting a little too far down there because I know the moment that I, you know, I know the numbers that when I hit like where my period disappeared. And so it just was kind of like, oh, you know, like I really need to put on some weight again. So that's that's kind of how I, you know, I'm associating. It's interesting because I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and where you're at, where you're at. And I can pretty confidently tell you that the the calorie intake that you're that you're eating is is really borderline um, under eating, just given your your height. So um, and what your body's telling us. 
what your body's telling us. I think that that's huge, too. I also would would wonder, have you gotten your cortisol levels checked? Do you know that you have a chronic cortisol output? Um, make sure that you're getting that done, that tested. If, if there's an assumption there, don't just move forward with the assumption. Let's actually get some some hard evidence on that. So. Do we have time for the know. next question? I don't know. We talk so long about carbohydrates. <laughs> Shall we save it? We'll we save talk. it. We'll Steph save it. talk so long. We'll save it. We'll save it. Yeah, this this was a good little podcast. We had a lot of information to talk about, so we'll save the next for next week because it's actually a really good one. And I don't want to. I don't want to rush through it. So, anything else from you, Stephanie? I have a question. Yes. How long are we going to be calling this a podcast? Probably until I get over the phase, maybe a couple weeks. Okay, I look forward. <laughs> Not a fan? <laughs> well, you're kind of endearing and you're, you know, pretty pregnant. So I'll just, I'll oh, let gosh. you have it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. So, so pregnancy gets, I, I get to get away with things. Yes. Well, uh, you're going to win some battles with me because you're going to lose all the battles with, uh, with your baby. Yes, so. True. Baby I'm going to be honest. I don't sometimes know what I'm saying. I don't. <laughs> it's really great that I have a podcast. I just, I don't, I don't. Some, I sometimes, I really, until you asked the question, I actually did not realize that I had said podcast. You said it last week too, twice. Oh my. It's just a phase. Don't worry. It'll pass. It's <laughs> okay. What did I use? Okay. What was I saying a lot? Um, Strugs? Strugs. See, that's done. That's over. I'm Strugs. I've moved on from Strugs. I haven't moved on from Steffi. Steffi's not, is probably a pretty staple here, so sorry. No, my my mother's been calling me Steffi for my entire life. (laughs) Great. Glad about it. Okay, so for more from me, go to coconutskettlebells.com. For more from Stephanie, go to paleoforwomen.com. Please send us questions. Paleo Women Podcast at gmail.com. Also, we really appreciate it if you could leave us a review that helps us out a lot. You can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com slash review. That'll take you to iTunes and you can leave us a review there. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.